Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. How do you measure a healthy church? That is our focus. And we have been trying to determine what God says about a healthy church. God does not measure a healthy church according to the crowds. God does not measure a healthy church according to its finances. God does not measure a healthy church according to its programs. God does not measure a healthy church according to its friendliness or the excitement that it generates during a service hour. The qualities that we have seen so far that describe a holy church begin with biblical preaching. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the sun or soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, it's all about God's word. God's word working in our lives and developing in us and through us his purpose for our lives. Amen? As we recognize what God has to say, and as we were reminded this morning, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we recognize what God has to say and then work it out in our lives, we bring him honor and glory and we are healthy as a body of believers to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. The first aspect of that is biblical worship because we recognize that our whole purpose is to glorify God and to give him praise in recognition as to who he is. Now, as we have studied biblical worship, we have discovered that you can worship in some very unusual places. You remember we studied John chapter 4, and Jesus talked about worship in Samaria, an unusual place in Palestine, a place that was to be avoided in many cases, but a place where Jesus ministered to a person who needed to know the truth, and you can find worship in some very unusual places. We also discovered that worship is not about a place, but it's about a person. It's not about where you are, but it's about who you are worshiping. And Jesus said again in John chapter 4 that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said, the one you're looking for, I'm it. One day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's about a person. And it's about that person working in our lives. This morning we want to look at another aspect of worship. And that aspect has to do with the holiness of God. True worship must begin and end with the holiness of God. True worship must begin and must end with the holiness of God in our lives. We've turned to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, who some have described as the greatest prophet ever lived, was allowed to see behind the curtain and see the Lord high and lifted up. We went into Revelation chapter 3 and 4 where we discovered the worthiness of the Lamb where John was lifted up into heaven and understood fully the wonder of God. That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. Now, as you're studying Isaiah, there are a couple things you want to know. 
The book of Isaiah contains 66 chapters. And it gives to us God's redemptive history. Question, are you paying attention now? I do want an answer. How many books are there in the Bible? 66, very good, class. How many books are there in the Old Testament? 39, all right, got that? Now, if you have trouble remembering it, and this will probably confuse you even more, Old Testament, Old has three letters, Testament has nine letters, if you spell it correctly. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. Huh. How many books in the New Testament? Not 25. How many? 27. 27 is the correct answer. Three times nine is what? There you go. Now you have it, right? If you get old, three letters, Testament, nine letters, three times nine are 27 books in the New Testament. Now you can take the book of Isaiah and you can divide it into the first 39 chapters and the last 27 chapters. The first 39 chapters have to do with God's people and their rebellion against God and how God, even though his people were unfaithful, God was faithful. And so you read those first 39 chapters and you discover the history of Israel. And then Isaiah makes a shift. And he starts to look toward the Messiah. And in those last 27 chapters, you discover the wonder of the one who is going to come. Other than the book of Psalms, the book of Isaiah has more references to the coming Messiah than any Old Testament book. And if you start in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 where God said... The seed of the woman would come and would bruise the head of the serpent, the deceiving one. You start to discover God's redemptive plan and God's faithfulness and God's fulfillment of his promise as Christ came into the world to be the Savior of the world. Now, that's Isaiah. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, we discover Isaiah's account of the wonder and glory and holiness of God. Follow along in your copy of the Scriptures as I read for you the first nine verses, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh boy, that'll do it for you, won't it? Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? I think he more said it. Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? Then I, Isaiah, said, 
here I am. Sent me. And he said, go and say this to the people, and then God lays out his instruction for the people of Israel. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, he could do nothing less than fall down and worship God because he recognized the holiness of God. And our true worship must begin and end with the holiness of our God. Amen? So let's take apart this passage of Scripture and understand a little bit about what was going on in Isaiah's life. The first thing we discover is weeping and worship go together. The passage begins in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I'm sure that all of you are familiar with King Uzziah. He was one of the 20 kings from the kingdom of Judah. Uzziah took office when he was 16 years old. And he reigned for 55 years. That's the second longest reign of any kingdom in Israel. Uzziah was one of the most prosperous kings of Israel. He was a warrior king, and so he brought peace to the nation. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we read that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and that his fame went throughout all the world. This was one of the good guys. Everyone in Judah, the southern kingdom, was thankful that Uzziah was on the throne. There was peace. There was prosperity. It was a wonderful thing to live under Uzziah's rule because he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, if we would do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, it'd be a wonderful thing. And the people around us would be blessed. Now, the text simply says, in the year King Uzziah died, probably somewhere around 740 B.C. But as I read between the lines, I, I sense that this was a troubling time. Who's next? What kind of kingdom is he going to bring? What kind of culture are we going to have underneath the leadership of the next king? What's going to happen to us? You ever feel that way in your life? My mom is 93. She just turned 93 August and Thursday my brother called and said Tom I just want you to give you a heads up they're going to put mom in hospice care I only got one mom some of you have been through that you know how that information strikes you And when I heard that, there were a number of emotions that were going on in my life. Can you imagine? But when I worked my way through those emotions, I finally came to the place that God's still God. God is faithful. I don't have to worry about what's next. Because God's got it. And even though I was weeping on the inside, I was worshiping on the outside. 
because we have a great God, and even at the lowest points of our lives, we can back off and worship the wonder of our God. Amen? Because that's who our God is. And when you get to the place that your spirit is grieved and you're overwhelmed with all of the stuff of life and you're ready to just ball, God's still God. And I would encourage you to refocus your attention on the worship and wonder of our God. That's what Isaiah did. And even if Uzziah dies, it's going to be okay. And even if blank is not reelected, it's going to be okay, no matter what he says. Amen? Because that's our. And the reason that's our God is because we worship an omnipotent, powerful God. Do you notice the text? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And where was he? Wringing his hands, wondering what in the world is going to happen to those people down. No. I saw the Lord high, lifted up, and the glory of his train, his robe, it filled the temple. God was God, and his omnipotence, and majesty, and wonder took over. You see, sometimes we... See this much when we ought to be seeing this much of our God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are three key words that you ought to know about. The first one is Elohim. Elohim is translated in our Bibles, God. In the beginning, God. And it's a plural word that talks about the power and majesty of our God. In the beginning, God did what, class? Boy, that's power and majesty, isn't it? That's sovereignty. That's omnipotence. Now, there are two words that are translated in our Bibles, Lord. And we can tell the difference by the way they are written. The first word is capital L-O-R-D. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. And it's the word Jehovah. And it tells us about the self-existent one. God doesn't need anybody to help him. God is in himself omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And our God exists in and of himself. And that's our Jehovah God. The other word is capital L, lowercase O-R-D. And it's the word Adonai. Now, look at your text, and you will discover that the word used here is Adonai. It is not the word Jehovah. Now, that's significant because the word Adonai is a plural possessive word. And it has to do with how God relates to his creation. It's a personal word. It is a God-involved kind of word. It's a word that we could characterize with father. 
because it tells us about God's relationship with his people. Amen? Aren't you thankful this morning that you can be a child of God? Aren't you thankful this morning that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God? Aren't you thankful this morning that he has adopted us into his family? Isn't that good stuff? Well, if that were Old Testament, it would be the word Elohim. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D. But not only does it talk about the relationship that God has to his people, it also talks about the responsibility that his people have to him. And since God is our heavenly father, what responsibility do we have to him? I was with a friend this past week who has lost both his mom and dad fairly recently. And I said to him, I said, help me out. They're going to put my mom on hospice. How do you deal with that? Um, By the way, he reminded me that his mom was on hospice for over a year. And that ain't easy either. But he said, he said, make sure you live without regrets. And even though your mom and dad are down in Indianapolis, make sure that you're doing everything you can to honor them and encourage them and connect with them and be part of their lives. Guess what I got? I got a cell phone. Guess what they have? They have a phone number. Now, my parents have not figured out yet that I have a phone number. But as children, me and my three siblings, we've determined to call my parents frequently. Each one of us has a day. Mine happens to be Saturday. But I'm also calling mom on Monday and Wednesday. I'm trying to build up points. (laughs) You see, Isaiah saw... Adonai, the one with whom we have a relationship and a responsibility to, high and lifted up, and that tells us about the omnipotence of our God. In worship, we recognize how wonderful our God is and that he personally wants to get involved in our lives and that he wants us to respond to that love. You know, God's got our number. And he uses it regularly. As his spirit guides and directs us into truth. Aren't you thankful for that? And aren't you thankful that it is this truth that stabilizes our lives? That's his power, his omnipotence, doing what only he can do as he works in our lives. And Isaiah was allowed to understand what's going to take place in eternity The purpose of heaven. Did you see it here? Verse 3. Verse 2 tells us about the seraphim. Angels. And we'll not take time this morning, but there are archangels given to us in the Bible who are special messengers of God. There are cherubim who are in the, in the Bible who are the warriors of God. And there are the seraphim who are the worshipers of God. 
And many have identified Isaiah chapter 6 with Revelation chapter 4 where the living creatures were around the throne. And some have said, those are the seraphim. Maybe. But what did they do? This is what's going to happen in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Amen? Amen. And not only that, around us the whole earth is full of his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. Did you see the full moon this past week? Did you think about the wonder of God? And how he has declared his glory. The 48th Psalm says that he declares his glory among the people. His wonders about all nations for the Lord. He is God. Is that Psalm 100? That's Psalm 100. Amen? If you want a glimpse of heaven, you can look at the pearly gates and you can look at the streets of gold and you can look at the no sin, no suffering, tears wiped away from our eyes. You can look at the fruit. You can look at the opportunity to to share. But you can't go to heaven without understanding the holiness of God. And Isaiah saw that. Amen? And he realized that the presence of heaven isn't only in heaven, it's also here on earth. Because the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Can you imagine you ever been in an earthquake? I've been in a couple. The first one I remember, I was sitting in my office in Sandusky, Ohio at Calvary Baptist Church. All of a sudden, I felt a little shudder, and my filing cabinet went boom, boom, boom. My secretary, who was next door, ran in and said, what was that? And I said, oh, it's probably an earthquake. And went back to doing what I was doing. Found out that an earthquake had taken place out in the middle of Lake Erie. Foundations, thresholds, smoke. All because of the holiness of God. When you understand something about the holiness of God, you see the effects of God. Did you hear that? When you understand something about the holiness of God, you can see the effects of God. Start looking for God things in your life. I won't share again as I shared in ABF. And on our vacation trip, I had a real God thing take place, and it was a $1,000 God thing. If you want to know more and weren't in ABF, you should have been. But see me following the service. I'll relate that God thing to you. We realize the presence of heaven. Verse 5. And then I, Isaiah, says... Oh, is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a nation, a people. Unclean lips. And why did he see that? Don't miss the end of verse 5. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When your eyes see the king, the Lord of hosts, you see yourself as you really are. White. 
could represent the king, the Lord of hosts, the one who has set himself apart, the one who is above all things perfect in majesty and glory. We would use the word holy. Now, most of us, I think, see ourselves as just a little off that. Right? Not too bad. I mean, after all, we're children of the King of Kings. We're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We have His Spirit indwelling us. And we may not be this. But we're certainly not this. Oh, woe is me. That's not me. I'm just a little off. Well, thank you for not saying amen. (laughs) Isaiah, greatest prophet. God's redemptive plan, history of the Old Testament, coming of the Messiah. Where did Isaiah say himself? (laughs) Woe's me. I'm undone. There is nothing righteous within me. I have absolutely nothing to offer God. I have nothing that deserves his love. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Let's stay okay. That's not okay. Because when we understand the wonder of God, the holiness of God... And we see the foundations shake. And we're caught up in the majesty. Holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then woe is me. I'm undone. I got nothing to offer my God. Now, how's this practically worked out in our lives? I think sometimes it's worked out in our prayer lives. You've heard of the acts of prayer, right? And the acts of prayer are adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And certainly, adoration needs to be part of our prayer lives, right? We need to recognize that when we pray, we come through Jesus Christ, the one God and mediator between man and God, and we enter the the wonder of the, the heavens of God. Adoration, who God is. Do you adore God when you pray? Do you take time to do that? I hope so. But here's where I wonder if we really get it. Confession. I'm pretty good. I mean, the big stuff we know about, right? But what about the gray stuff? The stuff that doesn't match up with the holiness of our God. What about the little foxes that spoil the vine? What about the things that may be culturally accepted but are not Christ-centered? I want you to note that after adoration comes confession before thanksgiving and supplication. 
presenting our requests to God. Why is this necessary? Because when we see who God is, we will really see ourselves as we are. And until that happens, we're going to struggle with worship, prayer, service. The psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, certainly this, but iniquity is anything that detracts from the holiness of God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Whoa, that hurts. That's harsh. That's difficult. As they say, I'm lost. I'm lost. And even my lips, perhaps the greatest prophet who ever lived, even my lips are unclean. And not only that, and Isaiah does what the rest of us like to do, <laughs> I live in the midst of people who have unclean lips too. Now remember that he is looking at the Old Testament, the history of God's people. And what does God do? Verse 6, then one of the seraphim, messengers of God, flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Can you imagine how difficult that was in Isaiah's life for that to happen? When I was a kid, I remember this distinctly. I lived in Bowling Green, Ohio. And this is pertinent because of Bowling Green and the University of Bowling Green. The church where my dad pastored had a vibrant college ministry and got on campus and brought kids in and did things with kids, college students. And as a seventh grader, I got to hang out with the college folks. It was really cool. Well, one day, we went to a basketball game. And I don't know what took me outside the gymnasium, but I came back in and I ran up the bleachers, and I fell and hit my mouth, my chin, and my teeth came down on my tongue. Now, ooh is right. Ouch. Remember, I'm a seventh grader hanging with college kids. I said nothing. I knew nothing. But I'll never forget what that felt like. Do you see what happened? Seraphim. Tongs, fire, touched his lip. I can imagine what that felt like. If we're going to cleanse ourselves from sin, it's going to take a lot of effort and it just might hurt some. But the reality is, it's worth it. Because the guilt is taken away. The sin is atoned for, and we're free. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what sin you have in your life. You don't know what sin I have in my life. But I do know this. The only way to have your guilt taken away and your sin atoned for is to deal with it, and that may be tough. That may hurt more than it's ever hurt before. That may be more difficult than anything you've ever done. That may be more of a challenge. But you can either have it continue to hurt 
or you can get it atoned for and be free of it. And there is nothing better than being free. Amen? I am so thankful for 1 John 1. Now, 1 John 1 says a lot of things. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. And then it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? We see ourselves as we really are. And it makes a difference. And how does Isaiah respond? He hears and he heeds God's call in his life. Did you pick it up in the text? Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I don't think that there was any chance that Isaiah misunderstood who was talking to him. And I don't think that there was any chance that Isaiah did not understand what was being said to him. It was clear communication from God. Perfect communication from God. But communication given in a question. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I don't think that's the way God said it. Because I am confident it was said with authority. And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. You think he prayed about it? Do you think he took time to consider it? Or do you think he just responded? I was so encouraged last Sunday morning as Preston Hawksworth taught us the Word of God. Amen? If you were here you were blessed. And one of the things I took away from that service, and I told this to Preston, his ministry showed me the caliber of some young men who are willing to go into vocational service and the fact that Preston has grown in his Matured, has matured and grown in his ministry mindset and his capability to be the kind of person that God can use in a very effective way. Amen? Were you blessed? What'd you do about it? Oh, that's one thing, praise the Lord. But what did you walk out saying, okay, this is how God spoke to me and this is what I'm going to do? See, a lot of times we sit in services or we have conversations and we say, that was wonderful. My job's done. I walked out of here with a couple of things. Number one is you said, praise the Lord, I was encouraged. Number two, Preston's whole point was and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Remember that? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. And you remember he said one of the interpretations was at the gates we discover the authority of the city. And the authority of the city was...
This is important. You see, once we hear a message from God, we need to heed the message from God. Now, I'm not going to embarrass me, and I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. But I want this to be as practical as we can. All summer, I have been encouraging you to look around, see who's not here, and connect with those people. How would you do? Say, well, you're not God. You're right. But I'll tell you, the one and others of Scripture tell us to do just exactly what I challenged you to do. We are coming up on nominations for deacons and trustees and treasurer. As we chose our nominating committee last Tuesday night, one of our deacons said, well, you'd better get ready to hear some no's. Because frankly, if you've ever been involved in that process, and if you haven't, I'll tell you, there are a whole lot more no's than there are yeses. Now, I'm not the spirit of God, nor do I want to play God. But many times, this is what I hear. I just don't have any peace. Jesus in the garden knew exactly what God wanted you to do. Did he have peace? When he cried, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Was he waiting for peace? Huh? You say, well, that's not my comfort level. Peter in Acts chapter 10 saw a sheet come down full of unclean things, and God said, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter said, not me, Lord, that's not my comfort level. But without Peter's positive response to what God told him to do, neither one of us, none of us would be saved because he went to the Gentiles. So if you're waiting for peace or if you're waiting for your comfort level, in order to not only hear but heed an opportunity that God gives to you. I sure encourage you to go beyond that. You see, Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. And we all are part of the body, amen? And we all have a responsibility to the body, amen? All you got to do is read the 40 plus one another's in the New Testament. And we all should be responding positively to the body. And what did God's call on Isaiah's life involved? Verse 9, Isaiah got sent to the people of God. It's all about people. Yesterday, Connie and I went to the International Festival held at KCC in their soccer field. First time we'd ever been. We didn't know what to expect. I got home from my responsibilities about 2 o'clock and I said to Connie, hey, let's go. She said to me, can we have something to eat if we go? I said, sure. We got the International Festival, and there was plenty to eat. It was all free. Saw Rashad there, saw Vita Ziegler there, um, saw Marty Felt there. I understand that the Wagners were there earlier and probably some others. We were standing in line, getting our passports stamped, because if you got your passport stamped, you get a free T-shirt. Never want to turn down a free T-shirt. Connie got a blue one, I got a bright yellow one. And there was this young couple in front of us, taking a selfie. I said to them, would you like for me to take that picture for you? And he said to me, no, thank you, it's fine. She said to me, he's a crummy photographer, will you please take it? 
So I took a picture of the couple, handed it back. I said, check it. And she said, oh, it's just great. Yes. I wonder how many of us, when it comes to God's people and the body, are just really crummy photographers because we're just all about ourselves. We're all about selfies. And yet, God commands us to be a contributing part of the body. And that's not just our tithe. It's our talents. It's our time. It's our testimony. God said to Isaiah, go. Go. Go to the people of God. And what did Isaiah see? He saw the power of God. And all you have to do is read the rest of this book. The power of God. Evidenced in his life. He saw God working in a very special way. And when we properly worship, recognizing the holiness of God, we will see God's power in our lives. Amen? And when we worship understanding who God is and who we are and get it right with him, we'll see his power. And when we understand what God wants us to do and we do it. We see the power of God in our lives. Amen? Worship. You find it in some unusual places. It's not about a place, it's about a person. But you can't worship unless you do it recognizing the holiness of our Next week, we're going to talk about how that's evidenced in our lives. But let me encourage you today to go out declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory.